All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Walk Close Podcast. This is episode 100, the big 100. This episode is the final episode in the Challenging Perspective series, and we are going to title this one Dancing the Dance of Grace. So this is part 10 of this little series that I've done, and I have absolutely loved doing this series. I have thoroughly enjoy learning from various fields of study that help us understand cultural and social norms of, of different ages and times and peoples. And and uh, a particular interest to me is a greater understanding of the culture and social norms of those we read about in the Bible. And I think if we really want to understand what you're reading, man, I tell you, I think it's imperative that we have some sort of understanding of these things that we that I've been talking about. I'm going to ask the question, why? Why can't I just pick up this book and read it and walk away with an understanding? I'm like, well, <laughs> quite frankly, my response would be, if that was the case, we wouldn't have all of the division and all of the issues that have come from that particular approach. Um, I'm not saying that you can't pick it up and read it and come away with some understanding, with something, but I'm telling you there are going to be gaps, right? And... Uh, and when you're reading it, right, you, I think that it's imperative that we have some sort of understanding of the things we've been talking about, from the social and cultural norms, the unsaid things, the things that various fields of study help to inform us about, that uh, can help us better grasp the images that are being painted for us, like what is being said and what would have been understood like we need to have a way to imagine plausible scenarios of what is going on with what we are reading that that fit the times in which the events actually took place not our time but the time in which they took place we because we have we have a tendency to pick up the bible and just read it and walk away thinking we know what's going on and what's being talked about now, we can have some idea, but the problem is we were reading something that was written over centuries to ancient peoples who lived within vastly different times from our own. They were, they were written and would have been read from different perspectives than our own. And, and just imagine you writing a letter and someone from a thousand years ago reading a letter that you wrote today, or maybe some of your text messages or emails— would they really understand? Would they really grasp what's going on there? Would they be able to fill in the blanks? Would they have a context with which to interpret and understand and imagine the scenarios that you're talking about or what's taking place there? Imagine someone a thousand years from now coming across your emails that are you know, on some server somewhere. Maybe they come across some of your social media posts, and they would they be able to, on their own, with only those things, with only the text, be able to understand, grasp the scenarios and what's happening? Now, there may be some clues that might indicate some things, some familiarities, some similarities, but at the end of the day, there's still going to be some challenges, okay? And those are some of the challenges that we face ourselves, Um these, these, I mean, this, this book that you use, right, right? Don't you want to better understand what's going on? And I'm assuming it is at least 
some importance to you. That is this book, the Bible, the thing that you call scripture. You know, that the fact that you refer to it as scripture sets it apart from lots of other things. Okay? Don't you want a better understanding of what it is that you are reading? Don't you want an, an approach that helps you better address some of the challenges that come with reading and interpreting this ancient text? Because you use this book. You use this book. You hold it up in a certain way. Don't you want to understand it? This thing that you value. That and 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 I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the more that I understand the unsaid things, the more that I understand the culture, the context that goes beyond just the typical, you know, cultural handbooks that we get with the clothes they wore and the food they ate, and all those things are helpful too. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, the more I dive deeper into these other areas, the more valuable the text becomes to me, and in a different way, in a different way. So don't you, don't you want a better understanding of that? Like, don't you want an approach that helps you better address some of the challenges that come with reading and interpreting this ancient text? And the challenges that I mentioned back in episode 92, these challenges are real. And it's and it's it's easy to turn a blind eye to them, but they nevertheless remain challenges. And engaging those challenges man, can, can be very rewarding and eye-opening instead of just turning a blind eye to them. Embrace them, face them. Um, we, we're so afraid that this thing will become something other than what we, how we see it, what we hold it to be. But I'm telling you, it could become even more, even more. And in my estimation, I think that we have really as, as high of a value that we might have in our minds of, of how we, we hold this book. I think we've reduced it. I think we have reduced it down by holding it in the in the way that we do. Like, I think we've reduced it to something to something less, and I think it has way more to provide uh, than we could could imagine. And I, I think, man, this uh, engaging these various fields of study and trying to understand things from a cultural perspective is so eye-opening, so eye-opening and rewarding. And this is what I'm trying to do with this series and and I'm hoping I have I'm hoping I'm hoping I have given you just at least a little taste. I'm I hope you now have maybe even acquired a little taste for this. That's that's my goal. And I and I do that because I think it's completely applicable with the vision that I have for this podcast and helping you walk closer to to being becoming truly human the the person that you have been designed to be called to be and we have an image of that in in Christ and that's this this podcast is all about transformation and this is text that so many people use they hold in a certain way that can help guide and navigate you to and through uh, transformation. Um, and I think it's best, it could, it could really do 
its thing when we understand these things that we have that we've been talking about. So let me quickly give you a review of at least some of where we have been, and uh, specifically with the patron or the patronage system. Remember the New Testament times. People functioned and lived within this patron system. It's how you got things done. It's how it's how you can make any kind of progress in your life. Remember, you're born into the place you're born and with your social status, and it is what it is. But if you want to be more, you better you got to know somebody. You rely upon other people. You have the haves and the have-nots. You have the socially superior and the socially inferior. And uh, you fall automatically in one of those categories through your birth. Now, that being said, within this system, which you know falls into a, a much larger complex social structure, um, there are ways to navigate, ways to get things done. There's ways that uh, people rely upon, whether, whether it's uh, you know, relationships between people who are of equal social status or people who are superior, who can maybe give you a hand up, could take you in, can help you make some sort of progress in your life. And, and, and rest assured, they benefit from that as well. And so within that patron system, within that structure, there are these words that describe this relationship between people who are leaning upon, depending upon, trusting in one another. And those words are our New Testament words, grace and faith. And the thing that I argue is that this relationship between grace and faith is being used and was understood in the context of this patron system. It's the Apostle Paul who takes these words and and utilizing these words, he helps people to grasp, to understand something that that God, God has done, is doing, will do. It's a better help them understand concepts. It was something that was relatable to them. And so if that's the case, it's best for us to at least begin to try and understand how these words were used, these concepts, and how they would have been applied to God. And as a result, then we can... In- better understanding our own culture, how things work, we can bridge the gap between the two because how this stuff is applicable to us today. And so the terms grace and faith were terms that were used to describe this relationship between uh, people of different social classes or even in in, in uh, equal social classes. Um, but it's, I think it's best understood or the picture is, should we say, clearer when we understand the relationship between someone who is socially superior and someone who is socially inferior. And we're talking about client-patron relationships. And so grace and faith, that's the context in which these words were used and understood in the New Testament. They weren't particularly religious terms. Jesus didn't come up with these words the uh, the church did not uh, create a theology, you know, behind these words. They were commonly used and understood words and concepts within a cultural context that were used and applied in a, in such a way where people could grasp and understand some things. And so, kind of breaking these words down very quickly, grace. Grace was used in three different ways. It had it had and it had to do with the willingness of the patron, the socially superior person, 
willingness to give, to be generous. And then grace was also a word that referred to the gift itself. It was a generous gift or a favor is how we oftentimes use it. And then it also described the response of the client. That is the gratitude that the the, the person who received the favor uh, felt and uh, their attitude towards the one who had given it to them. And to describe that scenario, we have this thing called the Dance of Grace, or the Image of Three Graces. In fact, you can look it up. You can you can Google it. Dance of Grace, or Images of Three Graces. And there's this image of three maidens in a circle holding hands. I think my mom actually has a tapestry of this in her living room. Uh, and... It depicts this dance, okay? And if one of these, and each one of these maidens reflect either the generosity of the patron, the gift itself, or the response of the client. And if any one of these hands ceases to touch the dance of grace, it fails, it falls, it breaks breaks the cycle, breaks the dance. So that's grace. And then you have faith, the term faith which described this relationship, this where each one of them played a role. Each one had to be dependable, right? Each one to one another. Each one had to be able to trust one another, and each one had to be loyal to one another. So dependability, trust, and loyalty were or words or concepts that are, are connected with or that define this word faith. And so you had grace and faith. And that's the social context of the New Testament in which these terms were used. And so in applying these concepts um, to, you know, these concepts were used to describe and to, to define and to explain the relationship between God and people and the role Jesus played and so forth. Uh, in doing so, the New Testament writers, they demonstrate or show God to be the chief patron or benefactor. And what we mean by the chief patron is that he he showed himself to be a patron that far exceeded the typical expectations for that day of what a patron would do. And in doing so, uh, and one of the ways in which that is expressed is the fact that God was generous even to enemies, right? While we were his enemies, he died for us, he showed us favor, grace, these, and the fact that he offers these favors to all, all people, and he is faithful, and he offers open access and assurance of this ongoing favor or or grace. Those things put together demonstrate the fact that, or paint a picture of God being this chief patron or benefactor, and then. Jesus fits in the mix in that he is represented or presented as a patron himself, uh, most oftentimes as a mediator or a broker, right? And also, though, as the gift itself. And uh, he is depicted as doing all of what he did in the most generous way. And so, now, if this is the case... Then, in a context in which this is understood, a context in which this language would have been used, and in some sense it would have been used as metaphors, understand that. And I say this because to think that God is just a benefactor, our patron, 
in my estimation, it reduces God to something less than he really is. Okay? I understand this language that is being used and the concepts behind them are, at least in some ways, being borrowed from their normal social context, as I've been saying, and, and being applied to God. And by doing so, it would have given the people within that context something to grasp, some way to look at God and understand this message about God and what God does, has done, is doing, etc. Now, that doesn't mean it's not applicable to us today. It's, it's no less applicable to us. And that becomes clear when you understand, right, the patronage system and how this is being used. But if it is applicable to us today, then how do we respond to this? Like, where do we fit within this dance of grace, right? There's the, and then we're talking about the response. And so if God is necessarily the chief patron, Jesus is the broker, we fall into the category of client. So what's our response to this? Well, I would suggest that first we have to recognize that we could never repay or return the favor with something of equal value. And that was oftentimes the case. Listen, if the client, that the patron, it's himself or herself, were socially superior, the client would be socially inferior. Would it ever be possible for the client who is socially inferior, does not have the resources or, you know, to, to do the thing, which is why he needs the patron, he would necessarily not have the resources to repay favor for favor, that is, of equal value. And the patron didn't expect the client to be able to do that. That was why the patron was needed, okay? And that would be a part of the equation that led to him having, you know, the honor and the prestige of being this patron and this reputation, someone of means who was able to help someone and who was willing to help out someone who did not have the same means. And so what we have to do is we put ourselves in their position, of the the client and what they had received is something that they could not repay or return with something of equal value they could not they would not be expected to but what they had received therefore was not earned either so there's no entitlement here get that no entitlement here what they received they did not earn it and they knew that they knew that they knew that, and entering this relationship was a risky was a risky thing. Okay, it was a it was it was a risky thing, and there was nothing they had done up to that point that would cause them the patron then to feel obligated to help, and the client would not approach the patron as one who was entitled to anything. But the question is, what could they do? How could they answer, right, grace with grace? How do they respond? How could they dance this dance of grace? How do we engage in this dance? If you have one who is superior and one inferior entering into a relationship. So that would have to be some understandings, sure. But secondly, I would suggest that we respond with grace by giving thanks to God. This is what the scriptures tell us. The one who is gracious, who has given the favor. So think, how do we respond? With gratitude. There's your word, grace. A couple of verses, Ephesians 5.20, Paul says, give thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.15 and 17, Paul says, be thankful. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord 
Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 4.2 continues steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. It's about recognizing where you are, how you got there, and being grateful, filled with gratitude. And you respond to the one who is offered and given this favor with gratitude. It's it's an attitude of, of the heart. So not only do we though return turn around and respond with gratefulness with gratitude towards the one who's being gracious we secondly praise god with words um when i say that think think about singing the praises of someone to someone else i you know how that goes so what's interesting about this is that a client uh, one of the ways in which they would respond, again, knowing that they could not respond with the with an equal favor, but one of the immediate ways that they would respond would be by spreading the word of how generous the patron had been to them. This is which is this is what you see so many men how so many men responded to Jesus, even when he said shut your mouth, don't say anything, right? Uh, the natural response for them was to well go out and spread the word, and uh, this what this would do is this, this praise of 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 who this patron was and what he did was. Uh, was something that spreads an awareness of the honor and the generosity of the patron. It, it increases his reputation. And there's there's a couple of passages here, passages here that I want to want to want to note to you that and I want you to take note of the specific language here, and it spells this stuff out, man. Uh, Ephesians one six, Paul says, "God's generosity." There's your word, grace, revealed in Jesus leads to the. Praise of his glorious grace. Here's the interesting thing. This Greek word here uh, has to do with the an opinion. Okay, his glorious is sometimes translated glory. It's sometimes translated translated praise or honor. It has to do with the opinion. In the New Testament, it is it is used as a in, in a positive way. The opinion that someone has of someone else, and which is why again it's interpreted as honor, praise, and glory in various ways. There's your language. The praise of his glorious grace with which, and there's, there's, your, there's your going out, praising it, right? Uh, grace with which he has blessed or freely bestowed, the New American Standard says. And this is interesting because it's a word, a Greek word that means to endow with grace. Ha, <laughs> in favor. He's bestowed on us in the beloved. The language is so rich, and it just spells out this image of, of what we're talking about between the patron and client relationship. Uh, another verse, 1 Peter 2, 9, where Peter essentially says, Listen, you need to acknowledge who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim. The Greek word here means publish. The excellencies, the virtue, and the character of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what a client did to a patron. One of the first things they did was spread the word about what they had done. They proclaimed, they published it. This is right here. This is Evangelism 101. Guys, this is it right here, right here. This is how you do evangelism. When you acknowledge the graces, favors, and the faithfulness of God in your own life, 
and you sing his praises to others. That those public praise, right, for the gifts and help that you receive from God. That's what clients said. That's what we do. That's how we evangelize. We acknowledge the favors and faithfulness of God in our own life. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we're actually living by faith, right? Living in such a way we're walking and, and trusting, you know, and, 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 and being loyal and committed and devoted to God. And we can look at our lives that as we do that, not only do we have good reasons to do it, but those good reasons point to the favors and the faithfulness, faithfulness of God fascinating, fascinating study, fascinating connection we can make, especially to Hebrews 11. But that's, 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 there it is right there. The language is so rich and paints this picture, paints this picture for us. And I think it, man, it just makes it so much more vivid. So, but not only do we, not only can we uh, praise God with words, you know, praising, singing his praises to other people, demonstrating, publicizing, publishing his his faithfulness to us and favors to us, and not in some platitudinal way. I don't know if a platitudinal is actually a word. I like to say it though, platitudinal. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, we're talking in a real, genuine, authentic way. Like, how do you live by faith? And how have you seen God work in your life? There's, there is your resources. There are your resources for evangelism. All right. So another way is uh, by praising God with actions, right? Clients would be expected, some of the things that they would do uh, in serving and promoting and demonstrating uh, their gratefulness was through works, and here's the, here's where good works fit into the picture. That's the the, the dirty word, right? It's, it's so funny how. Okay, I'll, I digress. I won't go there. Here's where good works fits into the picture. Um, I think a good verse to use here would be Matthew five sixteen, where Jesus says, "Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory." The Greek here to think to suppose, to be of the opinion, to hold in honor. So think about what he says. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and they may, by what they see, have the opinion of God, the opinion, give glory, to hold in honor to your Father who is in heaven. So by the things that you do, People see that you do them in the name or the reason why or on behalf of or because of God. They see that. And through that, they begin to hold the opinion in their own minds. They go through their own process that they hold in honor God, right? That is, that's, that's, there's, there's some evangelism for you right there. But praising God with actions, right? How we live brings honor to God and advances his, his reputation. Uh, another good verse, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, 12. With this in mind, Paul says, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by 
faith. Look at look at what's being said here. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. You take that to Hebrews chapter 11. Things that are prompted by faith. What do we mean by that? By some theological statement? By some some ideological uh, point of view? Not necessarily. What we're talking about here is a is living by faith because uh, you're because you have entrusted yourself because you trust that God is faithful and He will provide. And by you doing these things, by you living in this way, that things will unfold, that He will be glorified and honored, that. Uh, your your deeds, the things that you're wanting to do, are in light of his faithfulness, right? And his favor that he has bestowed upon you. Then he goes on to say, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. There it is. Glorified in you and you in him according to the, <laughs> according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what gets it started, his grace. And so by increasing his reputation, others may seek to attach themselves to him as their benefactor. And that's what a client did. And that's why spreading the word by word of mouth was such a powerful, powerful thing. And along with this relationship, remember, between patron and client, uh, especially with the concepts of faith and faithfulness, you have the idea of loyalty. And so one of the ways in which we demonstrate our gratitude, how we dance this dance of grace, is by showing loyalty. I mean, it, 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 it's transferable. It carries over. It applies. So remember, when you attach yourself to a patron, it could be sometimes dangerous and, and costly. You Patrons had enemies, and you might have another patron, right? Um, and maybe you took on a patron. Maybe you have a couple of patrons, and maybe they're enemies of one another. And, boy, that would put you in a pickle. Um, or let's just say things went south for a patron. Your gratitude for what they did would be demonstrated by you staying by their, their side till the very end. Loyalty. Think about what Peter said, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, talking about people who are dealing with trials, like real trials. Hardships. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness, think trustworthiness, or loyalty of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is set by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even though you're going through this, think of it in this way. You are being tested. Your trustworthiness, your loyalty is being tested. And when we, if you connect that to what James says in James chapter 1, when we allow these processes to unfold, we, we gain even more from it, right? More favor, more grace. Um, we gain something that we were lacking we learn and we understand and we grow, gain wisdom, which is why he says, listen, if anyone lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So you see the language is caked with these concepts here. 
And uh, so, yeah, we we show loyalty in various ways. We um, we perform various acts of service. There's another way. This is uh, this is what a patron would expect of his client. Services performed on their behalf, right? None of which are were offered to gain favor, but in let's just say a grateful response. Right, they weren't doing it so you can gain more favor. It was the response. It was like you you were trying to figure out how do I repay? How do I dance this dance? Like this this person has done so much for me. This person has been willing to bring me in and do this for me. This favor, man. How do I show my gratitude? How do I repay? And you immediately begin to look for ways in which you can do that. Return this grace to demonstrate your gratitude for what they've been able to do. And you you can't repay it with some equal, equal something of equal value. And so what are you left with? What can you do? Right? And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're think about it you immediately begin to you know thank them profusely for what they're doing you spread the word around about what they've done no matter what happens you stick by their side you remain faithful and then you tr- look for different ways in which you can serve them uh paul in second corinthians 5 14 and 15 said for the love of christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. Do you see what's happening here? As a patron, Christ gave his all for us, and our full response would be to do what? To do the same to give our all to him which is why paul said in galatians 2 20 i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me in the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me and in this service we ourselves find ourselves in a unique position this is this is fascinating uh, because as we serve, we are being called to be benefactors, to be patrons, if you will, in some perspective to others, which is why Jesus said to imitate God's grace. You know, you have these passages uh, like Luke six thirty six, where he says, "Be merciful." even as your father is merciful. If you back up and read everything that's been said there, I think it paints this picture of how we now, as as clients of this grace, in some sense become benefactors, right? You might even say brokers. I know some people have have problem with that language because it's, well, you're a mediator between, you know, we take the metaphors a bit too far. But we, in some sense, become patrons or benefactors, right, for other people. That's the position we put ourselves in, that we're put in, which, again, points to the superiority of the of God as being the chief, the chief patron. Look at what it does for us, right? So look at this really quickly. 
And Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read these and I'm going to point some of this out to you. This language where we ourselves are called to be benefactors, to imitate God's grace. We ourselves offer the grace of God to others. The same grace that's being offered to us. Okay, that might sound difficult to swallow, but listen to these words. Jesus says, but I say to you, again, Luke 6, 27, beginning there. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies. What? In that social context, that would seem like an impossibility, except when you understand that God loves his enemies, right? While we were enemies, Christ died for us. So we are being asked to, in return, do the same. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Look at all the favors you're being asked to bestow upon other people. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not dem- do not demand them back. Think about it. You are being put in the position of a patron, not just a patron, but a patron that would exceed even some of the expectations that other people would have of patrons. And as you wish, he goes on to say, that others would do to you. Do so to them. And if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But he says, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. (laughs) Yeah, read that again. Look at that from the context and the perspective of which we have been talking about. Loving one another, forgiving one another, putting the interests of others above your own. Those are all things that describe, that fit into, that plug into these concepts of you being now as the son of the father, being put in a position to act and respond as the chief benefactor, the patron would to others. There it is. This is how we respond with grace. This is how we dance the dance of grace. This this is how this is how this ancient system in which people live. And isn't this great? This is how. This is how this ancient system in which people lived and functioned was was used to describe God. God's relationship with the world and the world's relationship to God and how how a divine being so could be so different from what they were accustomed to thinking when they thought about God or gods. And of course, we, we could break that down even further to look at other ways in which this relationship is depicted, right? We talked a little bit about this or maybe hone in on a specific idea that described that relationship like faith what it is and what it looks like to live live by faith but again man um this is this is good stuff i and i hope the way that 
I have approached some of this has maybe sparked your interest in better understanding those things that might illuminate this ancient text as we read and interpret it for, for our lives. And I, I think this is important. And I think, I think it's essential. I think it's important and I think it's essential in walking closer 